Good evening. Jeff Stevens here, listening to some set for the fall again. Love listening to these guys. I always bring you up on a rainy day, but uh, they won't make it any cooler outside. It is humid. Hey, I wanted to talk to you today about uh, an article uh, that I recently read. It was released in Newsweek, uh, but it's kind of traveling around social media a little bit, and um, I just thought it was uh, it was worthy of a a response. Um, not because it's Newsweek, but because it's it's telling possibly of what's going on in the culture, um, and it just needs to be addressed. And the article specifically is about Jesus. So, um, you know, if you've been to the website that I have or to the Facebook page or listened to any of the other podcasts, you will know uh, that at its core, my focus when I retired from the military and starting to deliver this message was to reach my friends, my brothers and sisters in the military, their friends and family, um, just because I feel as though my personal experiences uh, as a guy in the military and as a father, you know, a husband, um, they gave me the, um, the desire to reach back into those corners, and some of them quite dark, and reach those specific people. And uh, at its core, although about them and their uh, struggles and the things they deal with that are unique in many ways to people in the military, um, the reality is that this entire message is good for everybody and that it's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. It's about Jesus now. It'll always be about Jesus. In this article specifically, I'll just read you the title, um, and it'll, it, it, it's pretty simple. You don't even need to read much further. But again, Newsweek article, and you can Google it and pull it up and read it for yourself, says 52% of Americans say Jesus isn't God, but was a great teacher, a survey says. Um, now the article goes into who did the survey and the survey was done by, um, Ligonier Ministries, um, which, uh, R.C. Sproul was the pastor there for many years. Um, and you know, what it basically says is it found that 52% of U.S. adults say they believe in Jesus, that Jesus Christ is not God. And it also goes on to say nearly one-third of evangelicals in the survey agreed that Jesus isn't God, and 65 who said that, um, that he is. That's the, really the, the most troubling part to me, um, is that we have people who call themselves evangelical Christians. Now, I don't, typically, I don't like the word evangelical Christian because I think it is used by the secular community to make a description of kind of uh, this gross description of everybody who says they are Christian, whether they are not, they are or not. It's just people who go to church. Uh, they politicized it into, uh, you know, anybody who says, you know, I kneel for the cross and stand for the flag kind of, kind of group. 
Um, and I don't think it's a true depiction of true believers, of real believers, of people who are um, realize that it's not their works or their vote or their opinion that gets them saved. It's not living in the United States that gets you saved. It's not a political leader that gets you saved. It's Jesus. And again, it all goes back to Jesus and people who are uh, craving him more and uh, toiling for the case of Christ through their works, um, you know, by serving others and loving others and loving one another, you know, the evidences go on. But um, that term evangelical is used in a way that I don't think truly describes the true church. But to go back to that one third, if there are people just in church, in churches across the United States that don't believe that Jesus is God, this is an issue because that means that from the pulpit, we're not getting good, sound instruction, ministry. We're, we have people sitting in churches that are not learning things well. And I don't think this is necessarily a surprise, but it's telling. It's very telling about the leadership that we have. Um, I'm just going to throw some information out about what we know about Jesus. And this is something I taught on on church Recently, we did a 13-part series on systematic theology, which I'm considering building a podcast out of. It won't be super deep, but it would give an overview of a number of the major points, 12 large points of systematic theology that gives us a defense for our faith. Why do we believe what we believe about? And it goes into things like Jesus and God, the Holy Spirit, sin, salvation, uh, Satan, angels, uh, it goes into all these things. So what it does is it'll lay things out so that as a believer, you can kind of get that aha moment and say, okay, there's good biblical support for the things that we believe. Or if you're having struggles or difficulties understanding something, it'll give you biblical references you're able to go back to and compare to one another. Many, Some of these things are debated, but many of them, once you see the evidence from the Word of God, there's no debate over them. So here's kind of an overview of what Jesus looks like from that study. And this will not be um, a super long overview, but I, I want to keep it in context to what I brought up earlier about the church, which is that we have, you know, a third of the church apparently doesn't believe Jesus is God. And if it's a third of the church, you know, and way more than that, almost two-thirds of the country, then the church needs to do a better job educating the church so that they can reach the people that are their neighbors who are the just kind of regular Americans, right? So we preach to our neighbors first. We share with our neighbors first. So first is, you know, what is the study of Jesus? So it's called Christology, right? Or it's the, it's the study of Christ, the person, the nature, and the role of Jesus Christ. And we know Jesus Christ to be the second person of the Trinity. Um, and I'll talk about that a little more later. But there is a couple of big points that go along with this. And I'm going to start right from the get-go is the deity of Jesus Christ. And it's this is the important part of this. So I'm going to start out with the book of John because this is an easy one for people to reference and you can just pull this up and Google it on your own without me just rattling off a bunch of 
Bible verses, but start with the deity of Christ from the seven I am's. And then you're going to go through this and do a little study on it and read about Jesus being the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the true vine, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. And I think it is, um, it is of utmost importance when you're studying this to go through it and just take a look at the particulars of each one and why all of those have to do with Jesus' deity and why it's important that as believers we understand that Christ has to be set aside from humankind. He cannot be uh, like the rest of humankind. He cannot be... um, a, you know, a regular guy that's just born on earth to a, a mother and a father. He has to be holy, but that he has to be also part of creation. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second as well. But these are really important things that come to how Christ becomes the perfect payment or propitiation for our sin. And this is all a really important part of who Jesus is. Okay, so um, as we get into this and we talk about, uh, you know, the, the seven I am's, there's one more I am that I think is really important for you to look at. And I want you to look this one up when you do your study as well. And that's the eighth I am. Okay, and the eighth I am is essentially um, when Jesus is being questioned um, after he's been arrested by the um, Jewish authorities, he is asked if he is the Messiah. And Jesus is going to say to them, I am. He is going to say to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. And the interesting thing about this is, is that if you take it from Aramaic, he really says, uh, timeless truth, I speak to you before Abraham would exist. I am the living God. And it's, it's different. It is, it is a different setup than the other I am's, which are really um, I me's or I may is an existence. I am an imperfect verb. It's kind of like saying I am hungry. Uh, you know, I am thirsty. But this one particularly is I am the living God. It's really important to understand what Jesus is saying in the I am's. So I would encourage you to look through as what we would call the seven I am's in the book of John. And then look at the eighth I am. It's, it's a really cool study. Look at it in Aramaic as well. Um, as far as his deity is concerned, we can also look at things like in the Old Testament, uh, the Adonai, Yahweh. You know, we can look at Matthew 22, verses 42 to 45. 
um, referencing baptism in Matthew 28, 19, being one with the Father in John 10, 30, how he's able to forgive sin. Only one would be able to forgive sin in Mark 2, 5 to 7. Only God. Um, and then being able to accept worship. You know, if Jesus was just a man, he wouldn't be able to accept worship. And we see some evidences of that in places like Matthew 14, 33, 28, 9, John 20, 28, and 29. Um, some of the claims he made as well, you know, about being in heaven in John 3, about his omnipotence in Matthew 28. Um, you know, dead people respond to his authority in Luke 7. Nature obeys when he speaks in Mark 4. He also talks about God being his father, specifically his father, uh, in John 5. Um, so we've, we've got a really good developed picture of the deity, and there's many evidences, but of the deity of Christ. So when they make this claim that on such a large percentage, I mean, a third of the church doesn't believe that the Savior of the world, for the church that they sit in, the guy that is the payment for their sin, is not God, you know, that there's no deity there, that he was just a man, is extremely confusing to me. So I think it's really important that this gets uh, repeated, it gets gone over, study these things, look at some of these verses that I'm sharing with you. It needs to strengthen your walks, and especially when you're talking with other believers, you can encourage them and bring them back around so that they understand this. Now, here's another part of this thing. Jesus was also a man, and when we start looking at things like Philippians 2, 7, you know, he made himself of no reputation or he emptied himself is another um, version. You know, kenosis is the word we use to describe this. Or in John 1, 18, where uh, you know, he's veiled, he veiled his glory. Uh, no one could look upon God. We see parts where he was uh, submitted to human limitations. You know, he grew up in, into, from a boy to a man, you know, from a baby to a man, Luke 2. Um, he had a body, he had a soul, he had, he had a soul, John 12, he had a spirit, Mark 2, he got hungry, Matthew 4, 2, he got tired, John 4, 6. So we see these uh, uh, indications that he wasn't just God, but he was also man. Well, then how much, how much of that? And what, you know, great theologians who dwell on this over time and for many, many years have come up with is, is this term. It's the hypostatic union. So Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man without limitation, um, but he sacrifices the divination of the Father or adding to the limit with with the limitations of mankind. He is 100% God and 100% man, but in one person. So no limitations and no sacrificing of his divination. Uh, and then he didn't add to the limitations of mankind. This is a difficult thing to, for a, you know, a human brain to get around. And it's part of the mystery. And part of the problem with people arguing about this repeatedly over the centuries or the millennia is we're, we're never really going to be able to get our head around that. You see, the God who created the universe <laughs> planned from before time, before our timeline, that he was going to interject himself in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, to be the propitiation for our sin. We cannot understand that. And to argue about 
you know, the particulars of it is, is, is just ridiculous. And I like how Elmer Towns, he was one of my professors uh, uh, when I was getting my degree at Liberty. He said, Jesus is the perfect ultimate revelation of God. So he is revealed of all of the things of the deity of God, but he is also the perfect man all at the same time. Um, and he, bring, he call, brings that out of John 1. And I think it's really important to look at that and just understand that it's hard to understand. And that's okay. It's okay that we don't understand it all. But to make a large leap to say that he is not God is just to deny what we need to put together that he is holy, set aside, and perfect. Because remember, he's got to be perfect to be the propitiation. He has to be the Lamb of God. Now remember, for the Jew, the Lamb must be spotless. It must be perfect. And if he's just a man without the deity, he's not perfect, therefore unqualified to be the sacrifice for our sin. And we need him to be qualified because without it, our sin isn't paid for. We don't get to go to heaven. Uh, I'll bring up a couple other things we talk about in this um, in this class, just as a side note, and we talk about things like Christophanies or a manifestation of God in bodily form prior to his incarnation and fulfillment of prophecy and how over 300 Messianic prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Also, how so many feasts are fulfilled in his life and his walk and his death. Talk about his virgin birth, his sinlessness. And we go over the Nicene Creed, which is really important because um, I think a, creed's, a creed is a very important part of who we are as believers because it helps us, um, especially the Nicene Creed, to get an understanding of what early church believers uh, and leaders taught. And it, it helps us to organize our thoughts based on our theology, the formation of that theology and the foundation of it as it comes directly from the text of the Word of God. Um, and now, something like the Nicene Creed is easily defendable, uh, and other creeds that are out there, I'm sure, are not, but this one is very good. When it comes to Jesus particularly, and the reason the Nicene Creed is one that is particularly good is because from the Nicene Creed at Nicaea in the 325 and a couple of years on is they were arguing specifically about the deity of Jesus Christ. As they argued against Arianism, um, they were bringing into one creed, you know, one set of uh, explanations that would be easy for people to understand. This is what we've taken of all these Bible verses and the study of all these great theologians and put together why we believe what we believe about the Word of God and who Jesus was. And that way, as it's repeated over and over, people know what they believe. Now, of course, I also believe you should back that up with a ton of good study from the Bible in order that you're able to defend your faith. So um, I hope this helps in some way because as I read this article, um, 
it really is tough to look at this thing and see that the American church is failing us in so many ways. Um, and as I read this article, one of the guys that talks in this thing, this guy, um, Nichols, uh, Stephen Nichols, who's, um, he's an academic officer at League of Air Ministries. It says it, it's clear that the church does not have the luxury of idly standing by. This is a time for Christians to study scripture diligently, engage confidently with people in our culture, and witness fearlessly to the identity in the saving work of Jesus Christ in the gospel. And, you know, he issues a warning essentially to evangelical leaders. This is the thing. If you're an evangelical leader, if you're standing at a pulpit in a church or you're running a home group or you're an elder in a church or you're a deacon in a church or you've got a, I don't care if it's a women's group or a children's group, you're, you got to get your theology correct. We cannot be spewing this at one third of the people that are in the church don't believe that Jesus was God means our leadership is absolutely failing them, which means our leadership needs to get their nose in the word of God. They need to pick up some good resources. They need to read, study, and prepare themselves so that they are able to teach people and stop with the topical, wasteful, um, isogetical messages where they try to prove a point based on culture, based on feelings, or based on social justice, and they need to get back to exegetical studies where they are studying word for word out of the word of God, where they do a little bit of research into some Hebrew, maybe some Greek, maybe learn a little bit about the cultural setting from the book that they are or the letter that they're reading from and deliver solid messages to the people in the church so that the people in the church are prepared to defend their faith and also give a reason for the hope that lies within them. This is extremely important. So, uh, and if you're not, a leader in a church, um, I would say you are a leader somewhere. So the challenge is up for you as well. Learn this, become more intimate with your God, become more intimate with your savior who is God and allow him to speak into your soul, into your heart, through the word of God, through that study so that you may be a better witness to your husband, to your wife, to your kids, to your co-workers, to your friends, to the people at your church and anyone you may touch in your life. It's of the utmost importance as we watch our country swirling out of control right now where lack of hope and lack of belief is causing people to go absolutely insane. We got to get the church on track. If a third of the church isn't on track, that means we're not being an effective witness right here in our country. So it's my challenge to you today. So um, I, I hope this information was worthwhile. We're going to be talking about it uh, at our church Bible study tonight and going over this a little more uh, in depth, but with some question and answers, a little bit different format than a podcast. So not fitting for this, but my encouragement to you is get yourself into the book and stay on the grind.